I'm, I'm, I'm excited that you didn't uh, find a new building and forget to tell me, uh, because, or find a new pastor or any of that kind of stuff. Very grateful. It is a wonderful feeling to go different places and be able to minister as a pastor still at these men's conferences and know that I have the full support of everybody back home. I can't, I can't tell you what that means to me. And how I bragged about you guys all along the way, from, from Maine to North Carolina to Pennsylvania to Florida at the end there. And uh, I told Megan this morning, you know, I was, even though I was with my best friend in the world, who I don't get to see very, very often, you know, uh, rarely. And I, and I and spent some days with him after the conference, just us hanging out, and it was wonderful and it was beautiful. But I told him, I said, man, I love you, but I can't wait to get home. You know, I just... I love seeing your face every day, but I, I miss the faces that I, I get to see every Sunday and in between. So thank you. Uh, just a short report on the men's meetings that I did go to. Uh, it is amazing. Um, you know, men's wounds are deep. And the wounds in Maine, the wounds in Pennsylvania, and the wounds in Florida, although all those demographics were different, they were all different groups of men, the wounds were the same. But what was even better is that although their wounds were were deep, the love of Jesus is deeper. And he ministered in such a powerful way to a lot of different lives. And I'm grateful to be just a small part of that. And you guys are a greater part of it because of your support, your prayers, and your willingness to let me go and do those things. So I thank you. And all those these men don't know you, they thank you. And uh, I am I am, I was going to hold up two envelopes this morning, saying Sermon A and Sermon B, and let you pick which one it was, because actually I I, I wrote two sermons this week, which is you know highly unusual. And they are both different and yet the same. And I, and I was asking God, okay, God, what what are you up to? And I kind of got the feeling that uh, Sermon B was actually the introduction to Sermon A. And so that's where I'm going to head today. So if we wouldn't mind to go to Matthew chapter 8. Go to Matthew chapter 8. And if somebody would go to Ephesians 6.10... And just hold that place there. I want, to, I want to ask you to read it at a specific point. Ephesians 6.10 and Matthew 8. And we're going to read the whole chapter of Matthew 8 in sections. We're going to reserve praying for some stuff after the end of my little thing here this morning. Uh, so we are going to pray today uh, for people. And, uh, but I just I want to save it to the end. Everybody there at Matthew 8? Matthew 8 is cool because in Matthew 5, chapters 5 to 7, we have the Sermon on the Mount, the, the most powerful sermon that was ever preached on the planet, at least the recorded sermon of Jesus. I'm sure all of his sermons were powerful, but this one, Jesus is laying out what it's like to live in the kingdom. What it's like to be a disciple. I mean, you know, the subjects that he covers in just those chapters from oaths and divorce and anger and 
giving to the needy and loving your enemies and the Lord's Prayer and don't be anxious and lay up your treasures in heaven. I mean, he covers everything that a disciple would ever want to know about walking in the kingdom. He lays it all out so that there's just no misunderstanding what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And then in chapter 8, he immediately goes to work showing us how it's done. Chapter 8, it looks like this all happened in one day. I don't know if it did, but it sure looks like it. So we could almost title this a, a day in the life of a disciple. I mean, we, we could. Or at least a, a demonstration of what it's like to walk a disciple kind of life. I love this chapter. I love this chapter for very... Just look at the things that goes on in this chapter. He heals a man with leprosy. He heals the centurion's servant. He heals Peter's mother-in-law and many others, healing them and casting out demons. He explains the cost of, of following him. He calms a storm, and then he heals two men with demons at the, at the very end. Jesus is very busy in this chapter, extremely busy, showing us what it means to listen to the Spirit Go where he tells him to go and do exactly what the Spirit wants him to do. It is a beautiful example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Thursday night when I, when we, the men of us got, we got a BAM, got, you gotta say it like that, BAM, uh, got together and we talked about being troublemakers for, for Jesus. Which was kind of a, a strange thought at first. Cause after all, uh, we're supposed to be at peace with all men as much as possible. And, and, and what I was really trying to get across and what we all kind of came to a conclusion was we are troublemakers to the enemy of this world. We cause trouble in his camp when we live like Jesus wants us to. And I believe the stories and the, uh, and the healings and the casting out of demons and the explanations that Jesus goes through in this chapter is all about being troublemakers. Troublemakers for Jesus. From the very first one, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. I love this man's faith. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Jesus just gets done preaching the sermon of all sermons. There are crowds following him like crazy. They are loving him. They're getting into this. They're just, they're just loving what he's saying. It's, the Sermon on the Mount wasn't really new information for them, but he taught it with such authority that they just couldn't, they were amazed at the authority that he had in sharing these concepts. A lot of these concepts are in Jewish law. A lot of these stuff, they were familiar with these concepts, but not with the authority that Jesus preached them. So he gets down off the mountain and he does the thing that you would not do at the height of your popularity, touch someone that was unclean. Because now, since he touched someone with leprosy, it meant that he was unclean. That he was defiled. 
that actually he was supposed to go into seclusion until he was proven to be okay. He commits a social faux pas. A Jewish law blows it out of the water and intentionally touches this man with leprosy. Jesus heals all kinds of ways. We, we know this. He, if we were going to do a teaching how to heal like Jesus, we wouldn't have a clue because he goes all over the place. There is no set pattern to follow. There is no one, two, three easy steps. Jesus heals people as they need to be healed. And he makes statements while he's doing it. He intentionally touches someone who is unclean, willing to be considered defiled himself in order to love on someone. This is was making trouble for the Jewish community because they know he's touched someone with leprosy. Am I going to go up and ask Jesus to lay hands on me now and pray for me? This is, this is the thing. This is the thinking. Wait a minute. This great guy, we just heard him speaking these wonderful truths and he did it with such authority. And we're, we're all behind him. Well, wait a minute. Who did he just touch? He touched someone that was untouchable. That couldn't come into community because of that disease. That used to have to shout, unclean, unclean, as he was walking towards other people. It's a wonderful thing. This man no longer has to say those words. That he can walk in freedom. That he can, he can just walk into any situation now because he's completely healed. But Jesus is now defiled according to Jewish law. But it doesn't stop him. Doesn't, doesn't freak him out. He knows he's causing trouble. He knows he's upsetting the norm. He knows he's messing with people's theology. And he just doesn't care. He cares more about the person's heart, the person's need. He loves on an undesirable with complete compassion. And there is no greater compassion to touch someone in their woundedness. And that's what he does here. I find it absolutely remarkable of the intentionality what Jesus does here. So he loves on someone who is undesirable. And then he goes, he goes on to the centurion, and this is amazing. You know, he's, he's loving someone. He's loving on someone who's an enemy of Israel. Roman soldiers were not very popular in the Jewish community for obvious reasons. And at this juncture, the centurion comes up to him and gives him a story about his servant being sick. What's Jesus to believe here? I mean, soldiers came and took people away. They came and took people, religious leaders, all the time. Took them away just to, so there would not be any trouble. They wouldn't cause any trouble. This soldier, is this a ruse? Is this just a story? Is this just an excuse? Jesus hears the story and he says, I will go with you. I will go with you. I know who you are. I know who you are. There's something that Jesus recognizes about the centurion's heart that he was willing to go with this man despite the risk and despite furthering, damaging his reputation. This was incredible. Now he's getting everybody mad at him by aligning himself, willing to help 
an enemy of the state. Willing to go with someone even, despite what it might be, a personal risk to him or, or a risk to his reputation. Jesus just does not care what trouble he's making. He is willing to go with this man who is desperately wants his servant to be healed. And we know the story. He says, you know, the, the, the centurion says, you know, I have authority. I tell men to go and they go and come and this and that. And I know if you just say your word, it's done. And Jesus says, no man, that, this guy's got faith that's, that <laughs> outshines everybody else that I've noticed. That's amazing. And it says that very hour that the serpent was healed. Jesus touches someone and they're healed. Jesus just says a word. That's not even in the presence of this person. They get healed. This is discipleship walking. This is how we're supposed to walk. This is laid out for us for a purpose. We go on. Jesus also loves on family. He goes to Peter's house. Peter's mother-in-law has a has a fever. The compassion of Jesus for for his disciples' family, they become family of his. And he goes into her and he touches her hand and she's healed. I don't know about you, fevers are not usually in the hand. They're usually up here. Yet you feel it. You would think that Jesus would go right to the source and boom. He just touches her hand and doesn't say a prayer. It doesn't say he said anything. He just touches her hand. There's something about this whole power of touch that Jesus is trying to convey here. That it's that this whole thing about healing, this this thing about being dangerous to the enemy, about being a troublemaker to the enemy, that we're we're not going to give him a strategy that he can figure out. So the enemy can say, "Well, Jesus always heals this way." Jesus says, "I'm not going to let anybody figure me out." Except that you can heal the same way that I do. Because we've been given authority, resurrection power, lives in us, dwelling in us. We have this this wonderful God living in us called the Holy Spirit. This is the way that we're supposed to walk. And I love that Jesus is going so many different avenues here. You know, he's loving on an undesirable. He's loving on an enemy of the state. He's loving on family and also community because it says this. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and he healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. Jesus not only heals the family, he starts to work within the community. People hear that things are happening. People are getting healed, so they come to the house, and Jesus is just healing everybody that comes and casting out demons, casting out things that don't belong in a person. Jesus knows that none of this stuff, diseases and demons, do not belong in people. They are a byproduct of living in this broken, sinful world. But he shows us that this is how we're supposed to address this world that's broken. Are you out there? Okay. 
Because I don't know about you, but I'm excited about this because God is laying out something for us very simply, very plainly, very, very poignantly. This is beautiful stuff. This is not, this is not meant to say, well, that's just what's Jesus. No, this is for us. This is the power and the authority that has been given to us because we have a God living inside of us. And then, he loves on those who desire to follow him. And he says two very tough things to them. He says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then he says, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. He answers these guys' questions about following him with two very strange statements. And I don't want to really dwell on the statements. That's for another time. But he's loving on them by telling them the truth. Truth is a big equation here for a disciple, for for a follower of Jesus Christ, for a troublemaker of Jesus Christ. Because when we speak the truth in love, it's going to upset people. But I love the fact that Jesus loves these two men so much that he's going to tell them exactly, you know what, I know, I see it, you want to to follow me, I I get this, But, but this is what it's going to cost you. And I love you so much that I'm going to tell you up front. This is what it's like. Not to have a home to call your own. And sometimes you're going to be asked to do things that make no sense. But you're just going to have to trust me. We sang it this morning. We're just going to have to trust you. But that's love. That's love. To tell the truth because you want people to understand the truth. We Look. Any of us who have walked this, and maybe you don't have to walk with Christ this long to discover this point, it'll cost you something to follow Christ. It is costly. Now, it's a price worth paying because there's no price compared to what he did for us. But Jesus is very, this is going to cost you. You know, he didn't ask us to pick up a, uh, a nice soft pillow to carry. He asked us to pick up our cross daily. You know, sometimes when we carry the wooden cross uh, on, on Easter, during the Easter season for the walk of the cross, and that, it's, it's a heavy cross, right? Stand mind, it's a heavy thing. It's not hollow, it's solid wood. And it's a big cross. And it hurts your shoulders to carry it any length of time. And then if you have someone who's taller than you that picks up the back, all the weight goes on your shoulder. And I always seem to get those people, so it's like... But it's heavy. There is a cost to follow Jesus, and He wants us to know about it. He loves us so much that He wants us to understand what this is so that we don't lose heart. He doesn't want us to lose heart. He wants us to understand what we need to do, how we need to do it, and He's going to be with us every step of the way. I love this Savior. I love this Messiah. I love this teacher. I love this big brother of mine that wants me to understand what it means to walk after him every step of the way even when I don't understand 
So he loves on on people who want to follow him. He also um, he loves on his closest friends. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm of the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. And he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, "You know, Why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the waves... And the sea, the winds in the sea obey him. Jesus gives a loving rebuke to his closest friends here. It is filled with love. We could read it in a harsh tone, but I don't believe it's there. I sense great love for his, for his closest friends here. What he was saying to them, he, he looks, look, he says, these storms are scary. These storms look like they're going to just overwhelm you. You need your faith to rise above the storm, is what he's saying here. You need your faith to rise above the storm because there's a bigger storm coming. There's a bigger storm. I'm going to, he doesn't say it here, but he, know, he knows in the mind of Jesus, he knows that there's a bigger storm coming. Something that's going to shake their faith in unlike ever before. His death is going to shake them to their core of who they are. He knows this. And he says, look, your little faith, you need to rise above that little faith. So even if you're afraid, even if you're scared of the storm, you can have the faith that overcomes this. And you can speak to your situations. And they have to obey. have to. And maybe the circumstances doesn't change. Maybe you're still in the midst of a storm, but you're different in the midst of a storm. Because you spoke to it and you said, you're not going to defeat me. I don't care how much you, you, your wind blows, how much the waves are. I don't care. I am my beloved's and he is mine. I am a son and daughter of the Most High God. I will go through this with this is what he said. This is great love. This rebuke is great love for his closest friends, which we are. Which we are. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gerardines, Gerardines, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tomb, so fierce that no one could pass that way. Jesus loves on the people who are scary. These men were so demon possessed, they were so fierce that no one wanted to walk that way. They were afraid for their lives. Afraid that they were going to get harmed. My father was demon possessed. I saw him take on three state troopers one time when he was 70 years old. And they had a hard time. It can be really fierce to see someone who is demon possessed. It can be really scary. Don't know how to deal with it. (laughs) Jesus walks right up to them, and they're the ones who are now afraid. The demons. Because they recognized the authority and who he was. 
This is why it's so important for us to know who we are in Christ. This is why it's so important for us to understand our identity is hidden in Christ. This is why it's so important for us to recognize and believe and receive at all times that we are sons and daughters of the Most High because the enemy is afraid of that. So when we walk into a scary situation, when there are scary people, people we just don't want to deal with, and when the Spirit leads us into those situations, we have the authority to speak life into that situation so that the demons have to leave. Jesus says one word, go. Go. And they went. I know we read these stories and we say, well, you know, Jesus is God. Who's living inside of us? God. Can we start to believe that we have that authority, not because we're all that in the bag of chips, but because of the God that lives with us, that we can speak to demons and tell them to go, and they have to go because it's God speaking through us. But Jesus went there with love on his heart on his mind, on his spirit. And I don't know if someone walked up to him and said, hey, there's these two guys, we got to walk that way, maybe you can do something about it. I don't know the story. It doesn't, it doesn't tell us the, the, the beginning of that story. It just says that Jesus went up to them and they recognized who he was and they said, we don't want any of this, just you know, tell us to leave. And he does. They go into a herd of pigs, the pigs go over the cliff. We can speak destruction to the enemy. We can. The God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, the God of Israel, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, lives in us. We have to be willing to cause some trouble in this world. Not against people, but because this enemy who thinks he's entrenched, who thinks he has authority and sovereignty of this world, he does not. The world is the Lord's and everything that's in it. Who's got Ephesians 6.10? Read it out. Please. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. One more time. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. If we really believe that, and I know that there's times we do, and there's times we don't because we're human. At least, I'm... That way. I know there's a scripture that says that, you know, when we are weak, he is strong. But I think sometimes we read that scripture and we think we have to act weak. Catch, catch what I'm saying here? That scripture means we recognize who is strong in us. Just like the demons recognized who was coming in authority, we recognize the authority that lives and resides who has decided to live here. It says something about your heart this morning, okay? Jesus decided he wants to live here. So we recognize that authority, but we're not supposed to act weak. Amen. We are strong in the Lord. Amen. We are strong in the Lord. And strong people in the Lord mess with the enemy's plans and devices and programs and whatever else, his schemes, his strategies. We make trouble for the enemy by living the way that Jesus Christ wants us to live as followers of him. This is what we're supposed to do. 
This is how we're supposed to live. Look, I don't know if we'll ever have a day like Jesus just went through. I don't know. I want to pray for that kind of day. And days like that. Where we hear His voice so, so distinctly. That we'll pray for someone who's unclean. That we will pray for someone who seems like our enemy. That we'll pray for our family and our community, of course. That we'll pray for people that want to follow Jesus but need to hear the truth. Because we all do. The truth will set you free. That we'll, we'll pray for our, our closest friends and love on them when they're, when they're being tossed by a huge storm. And it seems like their faith is shaken and they don't even know if they want to follow Jesus anymore. We'll speak to that situation. We'll pray to, into that situation. We'll cause trouble in the enemy's camp for, our, for, our, for those people. And that we will pray even when we're scared. Even when there is an enemy that seems so scary, so so bent on our destruction, and he is. But we have been given authority over him. Let's be strong. Let's recognize our weakness. Let's let's uh, let's recognize them. Let's identify them, and let's give them to the Lord so that He could be strong through us, so we can act in the power of His might. Because the Word says we can. We're promises that we can. You know, I believe, I believe with all my heart that we are meant to do the same things. Amen. I, 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 I just believe it. I will admit to you that I don't know how, except to believe first and to pray bold prayers. Just pray bold prayers. The world out there needs it. And we need to pray them. Be strong in in the Lord and the power of His might. That sounds pretty powerful to me. That things that changes that changes how what I look when I look at my own prayer life. That changes it a great deal, and it really surely needs to.